0: I want to keep talking into this idea of love and maturing love that we've been messing with over the last couple of weeks. Um, Amy did such a brilliant job of opening the door uh, on that for us. And again, if you haven't heard that one, grab the podcast. Um, It is seriously, seriously um, worth your while. Last week, we talked about the idea that the highest expression of love in an earthly relationship is this thing called covenant. We unpacked a little bit of of what that means. Today I want to unpack for a little bit what wars against love. What are are some of the things that actually wars against the expression of love in us and through us? But first, let me just set up, why is this a big deal? Um, Why is this whole love thing a big deal? Um, Many of you may know this story, but... um, a dude by the name of Bob Jones. Bob Jones was um, probably one of the most um, significant prophetic voices of the modern age. This guy saw stuff into the spirit realm that was absolutely off the chart. and um, He was one of the Kansas City prophets back in the prophetic movement in the 80s, and he really was a, a key father of everything that we know and love in the prophetic, even the fact that we get to kind of practice on our friend Aaron here um, and do that stuff. Bob Jones was one of the key pioneering fathers that really opened that realm up to the church, particularly the church in the West. And um, Bob actually got struck by lightning, which is kind of a bummer. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's not the best thing to have happen to you. And, Shocking. Okay, the dad jokes are starting. Oh, that wasn't lightning. That was just a natural fall, just in case anyone was wondering. Bless you, James. Um, And Bob actually died. Now, if you know that he died again recently, you know that that wasn't the end of the story. Bob actually died and he went up and he actually saw the father face to face. And now, if you think about who this guy was, This guy was one of the most significant prophetic voices in the earth in a generation or more. There there were few that carried a mantle and an anointing like this guy did. And he gets to the father via a lightning strike. And the question that the father asked him was utterly profound. The question that he reports that the father asked him was, Did you learn to love? Not, did you learn to prophesy? Did you see mysteries in the heavenly realms and in the spirit realm? Did you open up things in the spirit and call things into being and do all this incredible stuff, which is all the stuff that he did. He was amazing. That wasn't the question that the father asked him. The question that the father asked him was, did you learn to love? And when he honestly answered the question, he actually had to say no. No actually, I don't think I did learn to love. And so the father sent him back. And he lived for another at least 20 years, probably more, 20, 30 years. He was an old, old man when he died. Sent him back and said, so your job is to learn to love, not, not to learn to prophesy and to heal. And, to, and all of those things are awesome. Um, we want more of that. But he said, did you learn to love? Um, Bob died only a few years ago and in typical Bob prophetic style, he actually died on Valentine's Day.
1: Mm.
0: Now, if you think about the prophetic significance of that, the question was, did you learn to love? And he dies on the day that is all about love. And I I think that was a resounding answer from heaven saying, yeah, I I think you got it. But this is something that is so powerful on the heart of the father. For reasons that... Let me read to you from 1 John chapter 4. Feel free to follow along because I'm going to kind of anchor in here a little bit. Um, 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So that's important. See, God defines himself as love. Love that the core primary aspect of his essence is he is, he defines what love is. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Jumping down to partway through verse 16, God is love, there it says it again, and whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how big a deal this love thing is. Now, you've probably heard, many of us have heard many times before, in the Greek language, which is the original language the New Testament was written in, there are five different words for for the word love. We only have one, the Greeks have five. This was the word agape, which many of us have heard of before, which is talking about that absolute unconditional love. It's the love that has nothing to do with the perceived worthiness of the receiver. It's all about the character and nature of the giver. That's the nature of agape love. It's about the character and nature of the giver, not about the worthiness, supposedly, of of the recipient. And God defines himself as that kind of love. So, dang, I'm going off script already. This is not helping. Okay, let me say this and then I'll attempt to jump back on script. See, true love as defined by agape love, we we often battle with the idea that uh, am I actually lovable? Am I actually worthy of his love? I have two answers to that. One, it actually has nothing to do with you. and your perceived worthiness, it actually has everything to do with him and his character and his nature. Because, let me try and say this right. True love from the subject to the object, you get what I mean? From the person who is loving toward the person, the lovee. The the love, that's better. (laughs) The one who is being loved. Isn't so much responding to value and worth in the object, but is actually imparting worth into the object. Do you get that? True love isn't responding to worth in the object. It's actually adding love, adding value. Sorry, responding to values, adding value. Yes. That's what God love does for us. Now, you've probably heard me say this before, but value is also determined by the price you pay for something. And there is no higher price to pay than the life of a person, which is the price that Jesus paid for you. So his determination of your worth is way higher than yours. And and I don't know if I want to be arguing with him about that. I don't want to be arguing with God about anything for that matter, but that's one I know we're not destined to win. Now, God defines himself as love. We hear, did you learn to love? God defines himself as love. And therefore, if we are not maturing in love, we're actually not representing him accurately. And therefore, our mission to show the world what love is is destined to fail if we're not maturing in love because maturing in love is about maturing in our expression and manifestation of what he is like. Now, maturing is the process. Perfected is the outcome. Now, where he says um, verse... 12 of 1 John 4 no one has ever seen God but if we love one another God lives in us and his love is made complete in us that word complete teleos is the Greek word and it means to bring something to its fullest most complete expression it means like to fully or successfully accomplish a state of being does that make any sense? that was deadly silent there you give me no confidence whatsoever here and you're just sitting there laughing at me. That's real helpful. Thanks so much. Um, actually, do you want to speak next week? And then... Uh, I'm my next week. Ah, dang, there we go. If I can get Pete to lead and you to speak, then I can have my perfect heckling week. That'd be awesome. Where are, oh, there you are. <laughs> He's hiding behind Jay. Nice work. So this process... Um, and where, when we come down to 1 John 4.18, one of my favourite verses, there is no fear in love b- but... Perfect love or complete love, it's the same word as up before where it says his love is made complete in us, complete and perfect. It's the same original word. In other words, maturing is the process where we arrive at is this place of fully manifesting, expressing, attaining the state of the fullness of the love of God. That is is the journey that we are headed for. So if we want to introduce the world to a loving father, maturing in love is probably the most important thing that we can do. Now, most of the issues of the heart where we struggle, where our brokenness lies, comes down to either absent or distorted love. Step back and think about that for a moment. Most of our issues in life come from absent love In other words, there was a void of love. There was a void of healthy affection, particularly in my early years growing up. I've ministered to so many adults, both guys and girls, who say, my father never told me he loved me. Like, he did stuff for me. And like, I I knew kind of in my head that he loved me, but he never looked me in the eye and told me that he loved me. And so they carry around this void that, ultimately says, I actually don't know 100% that I'm loved. That, that's, that's the absent part. The distorted part is when love is conditional, when love is attached to all the wrong stuff. Like when you come first in that exam, you get all this love and affection. And when you don't, you don't. What that teaches you is that I'm lovable when I win. When I'm told why can't you be more like your older brother or why can't you be more like your younger sister, you learn that love is attached to how, not who you are, but how you compare. When you come home with ninety-eight percent, and the question that's asked of you is what happens to the other two percent, you learn that love, affection, and worth is attached to how I perform. Because I get, and, and it's not necessarily said, it's not necessarily said, now, Cam, if you get 100% in this exam, I will love you. And if you don't, well, heal him, G. Yeah, unlucky. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's very rare that that actually gets said, but the covert message in the environment is exactly that because my heart learns by experience and the experience of my heart says, I get lots of love, affection and worth when I do this. When I do this, it seems to be strangely silent. And so we learn a distorted form of love, a conditional form of love. And because all of us absolutely crave and are born with the need for love, and that's normal, by the way, that's not dysfunctional or unhealthy. That's actually the way that we're designed. We're actually created for connection. We're created for relationship because we're made in the image of God and God himself is a relationship. That's too deep right now. I'll just leave that out there. Um, was that an amen I heard? Yes. Yeah. Um, love gets attached to all the wrong stuff. And so we start trying to strive to earn, to perform, to, or we learn to live without it. And we just suppress our need for it. And then it ends up coming out in all sorts of other ways. So most of our issues come down to absent or distorted love. We read in verse 18, 1 John 4:18, where it says, "There is no fear in love, perfect love casts out fear, for fear is the anticipation of punishment." Whenever love is conditional, in other words, children, you know, as kids, we're disciplined by the, by the, the removing of love. we learn some stuff about our value and worth that ultimately ends up causing dysfunction and fear in relationships. And fear is one of the worst... The fear is a bad decision maker. Yeah. Fear in relationships causes us to make all sorts of decisions to try and fill our pain or, or heal our pain. And that leads us typically into further captivity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> One I've heard all too often is, and this is not just guys, this is not just girls, this is guys too. I, I had to sleep with them because I was afraid if I wouldn't that they would reject me and I couldn't deal with that. And so I attach myself to a person out of fear when that whole thing is designed for love, connection, and covenant. Fear is a bad decision maker. So when we grow up in a dysfunctional family or we're in a dysfunctional family now, absent or distorted love is is what's at the core of that. If you've had marriage issues, marriage breakup, absent or distorted love, when you come down to it, is the core. Work relationship breakdown. I've been bullied, harassed, um, unfairly treated by a boss. Absent or distorted love is what is at the heart of that. Now, because we live in a world that is so full of absent or distorted love, there are things that we do, there are structures in our hearts that we build in order to protect ourselves and keep ourselves safe. And the two biggest things that cause the formation of structures in our heart, of structures of self-defence in our heart are what did we attach love, affection and worth to growing up and what were our strongest emotional experiences? in life so what we attach love affection and worth to growing up is huge especially the first six to eight years because in your development at that age you don't have the ability to evaluate your environment i think i've said before it's not like you had another life to compare it to and yeah you you're six you're five six years old and you're looking around at your family and you're going you know my last family in my last life wasn't like this they were much more like this i think there's something wrong with this family now you don't do that right Really? Anyone? (laughs) You're looking at me funny. (laughs) All we can do is absorb and that becomes our template for normal. And so we think, oh, well, it's normal that I have to perform to get love. It's normal that I have to to be perfect. It's normal that I have to win. All of these things we start to think are normal and therefore we grow up with these structures in our heart that are based on what we've attached love, affection and worth to. And then our strongest emotional experiences... And in particular, what is the meaning or the story that we told ourselves about what happened? See, traumatic stuff happens to us, but where we get really traumatised is by the stories we tell ourselves about what happened and why it happened. So if I was rejected and I tell myself a story that says, well, obviously that means I'm unlovable, that's more traumatising than the rejection. Let's say I'm involved in an accident of some sort. I get hurt, I get injured, and I tell myself, well, obviously God was punishing me. That story is way more traumatising than the accident. Because I'm ascribing, I'm ascribing something to God that is fundamentally untrue, because a loving father doesn't give people car accidents. Have we, have we kind of got that bit sorted? God gets lumped with a whole heap of stuff that he never, ever does. And if I was ascribed to those things as an earthly father, I'd be locked up for child abuse. So that's, what, that's not what he is like. So that, 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 that essentially accuses God, but it also ascribes a value and worth to me that is, that is fundamentally untrue. And then I start living out that story So out of those, out of our strongest emotional experiences, out of what we attach love, affection and worth to, we make these things called vows. Often preceded by what we call judgments. Judgments are things, they start as stories that we tell ourselves quite often to dispel or to make the pain go away or to put the blame on someone else for the pain. So if I had, um, I'm going to go both genders here, so relax. <laughs> you know, if, I, if I had a strong dictatorial mother and I'd, I'd develop a template and a story says, therefore, all women can't be trusted. Okay? If, if a male in my life was abusive to me in some way, I, I then typically, as a judgment to protect, tend to judge all males in order to protect myself. But one of the things the judgment does is takes the scope of what actually happened and broadens it really, really big time. Does that make sense? So it often starts as a judgment, but then it leads to what we call an inner vow. And an inner vow is an I will never, complete your sentence, or an I'll show you. So an I will never, I will never let someone hurt me like that again. That's that's an example of an inner vow. I will never let someone get that close to me again, that they can hurt me like that. What that's saying is I will never actually experience love again on the flip side. But it's it's a protective mechanism. If you could complete this sentence around your childhood and around your strongest emotional experiences, everything will be okay if I can just... common one everything will be okay if I can just stay out of sight see this? I mean not just in the church world in the corporate world I see this one all the time and it shows up on you know psychometric profiles um, really really clearly and all I have to do is ask the question where did you learn that you were safest when you weren't seen and they pause and then they get that knowing look and they go, oh do you mean I'm like yeah that's that's what I mean safe place it's okay because anytime they were seen, bad stuff happened. So they learnt, if I can't be seen, that's when I'm safe. On the flip side, I remember one, um, I think she was a a girl in her late teens, again at a corporate program, Um, and she was one of, it was either 9, 10 or 11 kids. It was a lot. I mean, by the time you get past about seven, (laughs) it's just a lot, right? Um, And... Because there were so many of them and only two parents, I mean, if you do the maths on that, you kind of go, why would you? Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, She learned that the only way to get my needs met was to be the loudest, to actually be seen because that was the only way she would actually get attention, because there were so many of them, they were always having to clamour and fight for attention. Now, not all big families do that. This one just did. And Sheila, everything will be okay if I'm just loud enough to get mum's attention, or to get dad's attention. And so you can imagine how that played out, you know, even in the workplace. I mean, she was hilarious, and she was a, a huge amount of fun, but after about half an hour, everybody was exhausted around her. She had some powerful realisations and a lot of tears, that particular programme, which was really, really cool. So out of these experiences, we, we make vows that are aimed to stop that pain from happening to us again. Okay? I'll never put myself out there like that again. You know, kids in classrooms, this happens all the time, kids in classrooms they, they, they take a risk, they put something out there and the teacher ridicules them or humiliates them in front of the class. And a kid at that age makes a vow, I will never do that again. And then they wonder why they struggle with things like public speaking. Yeah. Now, I had this yeah, um, in my office um, when I was in a corporate job and because I obviously did a fair bit of public speaking, they said, can you help me with this? And it's was like, I, I think I just need some skills and some strategies. And I was just picking up all this massive amounts of fear and I said so have you had an experience where you learned that bad things happen when you're in front of people? She's like, <laughs> it was that, that look, that, are you a psychic or something? I'm like, to me, it was just profoundly obvious. I was like, actually, yeah. And I said, okay, before we look at the skill set, let's talk about that. We unpacked that. It only took 15 or 20 minutes. She got some truth into the room. She went and absolutely nailed that presentation, came back later with this huge grin on her face and just, Thank you so much. Had nothing to do with the skill set, everything to do with a vow that she had made that said, I will never put myself out there like that to be humiliated like that again. She'd, until I'd asked her the question, she'd completely forgotten that that's what she'd done. It wasn't a conscious thing, but it was playing out. And this is the, one of the reasons why I want to talk about vows is often they play out in our subconscious. And until someone like me or a ministry person starts poking around in there, Often, they often just sit unchallenged and we live them out. Now, because we have spiritual authority, these vows are declarations that we make that actually have spiritual power. And, they, and because they are in agreement with the spirit of fear, it opens doors for the enemy to attack us and rob us in those very areas. So when we say things like, I will never allow myself to be rejected or hurt like that again, I align with the spirit of fear, which then creates this amazing marriage with the spirit of rejection, opens a door to that thing in the spirit, which then increases the likelihood I'm going to experience that very thing. And so we end up with wound upon wound upon wound because we have an open door in spirit because of a declaration that we have made that I will never get rejected like that again. So these vows actually have spiritual authority. And through this whole heart journey thing, I've come to I've come to a newer understanding, if you like, of and I always get scared when people start saying I've come to a newer understanding because my heresy thing goes off. <laughs> but here I am saying it. A broader understanding, if you like, of what the lordship of Jesus is about. We often think of the lordship of Jesus as a moral obedience kind of motif of you know do what he says, follow the rules, you know look look at the book, do what that says, and you know hopefully lightning won't strike you. It didn't work so well for Bob, but he had a pretty good experience on the other side of that. Um, what if? The lordship of Jesus is actually coming under the full covering and authority and flow of his love. Such that there is no judgments or no vows in us that actually protect us from love. Because the the vows are there to protect us from pain, but what they actually do is protect us from love. And anytime someone gets up here and then starts talking about us maturing in love and moving closer and actually making connection our goal, it starts to press on those places in our hearts that have got vows protecting them. And you know, if when we're talking about, like the, about this kind of stuff, you start to feel a bit of an anxiety rise up in your heart, that's, that's a sign that you've got some self-protection. We all do. Hello. I've just had ministry for a whole lot in the last two weeks. It's awesome. Good to get rid of those things. Like, I will not express my need. I will not fail. They're bad, they're really bad. That's for another day. But, um, but one of the main things that vows do is they keep you stuck in an old story. So stuff happens to us. We tell ourselves stories about why that happened or why something that we wanted to happen didn't happen. Did I say that right? You know what I mean? But as in we wanted something to happen, it didn't happen. And we tell ourselves to, well, You know, it can be for a simple, well, I didn't pray enough, I didn't fast enough, I didn't read the Bible, I didn't do, you know, whatever. I, did, I go the works thing. Or, well, maybe I'm not worthy. Maybe God doesn't answer my prayers. Maybe he answers everyone else, but maybe not me. They're the stories we tell ourselves. And what the vows do is they keep us stuck and attached to those stories. See, the, the beauty of, of life, but the beauty of the kingdom, especially as a child of God, is we have authority, which means we get to choose our story. If greater is he that's in us, which is earlier in, this cha- in that chapter that I read, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, then we are in authority and we get to choose our story. Even when bad stuff happens to us, we have a choice of the story, the meaning that we add to that. But our vows keep us stuck into a, an old story. So one of the first things for a lot of us is we need to find a different meaning for some of the painful experiences we've had in our life. We need to find a different story around that. We need to trade the, well, this happened to me because I'm obviously dysfunctional or I'm worthless or I'm not worthy of love or yeah, insert your own here. To, okay I went through a challenge there but I made some choices about a challenge that's made me stronger and all my challenge was when, was a weight that I started lifting and all of a sudden i have become stronger because of that didn't mean I enjoyed the experience but I found a different story that's redemptive um, Victor Frankl talks about this you heard of Viktor Frankl? Victor, you need to hear a, yeah thank you <laughs> um, you need to hear a Victor, this guy was amazing, so this guy, um, was he actually in Auschwitz, was it, he was actually, he was a, PO, he was a POW under the Nazis in Germany, that, that much I know, I don't know if it was actually Auschwitz, but, but um, what he ended up doing was, in, was developing this therapeutic model called logotherapy, Um, which was all about essentially starting to tell yourself a different story. And um, a lot of people that were going through all that POW thing were were wanting to suicide, and he was called in to help stop people committing suicide. And basically, he came up with three things. He said, in order to stop these people from taking their own lives, you need three things. You You need a project. In other words, you need something to put your energy toward. You need a different story about your pain. And you need a community around you who love you just as you are. That, that, that was the basis of pretty much everything that Viktor Frankl talked about. And as a result of that, he stopped a lot of people committing suicide. So one example of that was this was in the concentration camp and one of the POWs saying to him, look, they are going to kill us. Like, I, there, there is absolutely no hope. These people are going to kill us. I'd rather kill myself before they kill me it's like, how do you find meaning in that? You know, that this, is, this is an experience that's beyond anything any of us, I think, in this room have ever had to conceive as a reality. We, we know about it as stories, but they're experiencing it as a reality. And one of the things that Viktor Frankl helped this guy see was he said, you have to find meaning in your current experience. You see, if you take your own life... It won't show the world how evil this regime is and won't make the world rise up and fight. But if they kill you, there is meaning in that. You are helping the whole world see how evil this regime is and perhaps taking a part in bringing it down. Change the guy's story. In a moment, the guy didn't suicide. Simply by changing the story. In other words, finding something redemptive. So for so many of us, our painful stuff in our life sits there as a pile of... Insert your own word here, (laughs) that still is giving off an amazing odour, and yet God wants to give you a different story about that experience. I can't tell you what that is. I can often suggest some things, I can't tell you what it is. Only really He can. He not only wants to change your story about the experience, but He I want to suggest he most likely wants to change your story about where you think he was in that experience. It's one of the most powerful things I've seen where people have judged God as being absent in their most painful moments simply because they couldn't see him. And it's totally understandable. Totally understand why you would do that. I'm going through this painful experience. God, where the heck are you? I can't see you. I can't hear you. I don't know where you are. But then later in ministry, when we invite the Holy Spirit in and they actually get to see where was Jesus in that moment, it it heals stuff in an instant. So often they realize it would have been so much worse if he wasn't holding stuff back. Sometimes they just see him there. I'm there. You know when Paul says in Romans, weep with those who are weeping. Where do you reckon he learned that? Because that's what Jesus does. Sometimes he's there weeping with us. In pain, experiencing it with us. One of the things Viktor Frankl said, because he he used to argue with Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud used to say um, that people's basic need was pleasure, that everyone's just in the search of pleasure. They want to have fun. Viktor Frankl was a little deeper and basically said, no, people are in search of deep meaning. And when they can't find deep meaning, they numb themselves with pleasure, which is slightly more profound. And I want to suggest probably slightly more true. A project, we talk about destiny a whole lot. (laughs) No, that's not a bad project. A redemptive view on our pain and a community which loves unconditionally, which loves you as you are. We're talking a whole lot about love because we have a world out there that is absolutely conditioned and programmed by absent or distorted love and they need somewhere, somehow to be shown what love really is. That's our job. Maturing in love is about us. But but it's about everything out here around us as well. Whether that be Rouse Hill, that just happens to be the area where we are, but we actually feel like we're called to the city of Sydney, not just to the community of Rouse Hill. This just happens to be where we are right now. Hold on for that story. (laughs) Let's see what God does. Um, But also for the nation, which is why we partner with places like New Earth Tribe up in Byron and Paradox over in Perth, um, and other places down in Melbourne and around the country, because... We want to see a movement of people that know what love is and then actually take that out and show people what love is. Now, I want to suggest that there's possibly a third issue. I said absent or distorted love is at the heart of everything. I want to suggest that maybe there's a third and that's simply immature love. So if the process is maturing in love and being perfected, then if we're at the earlier end of the spectrum, then that that is immature love and often immature love creates a few issues and often I want to suggest that conflicts in our life go unresolved because we are not mature enough in love in that particular area. Remember Danny Silk telling a powerful story um, about him and Bill Johnson. And um, so Danny, if you don't know Danny, Danny is you know, he's a qualified social worker, family counsellor, um, one of the most insightful people around humans and their condition, around how to build healthy relationships. Bill had sent Danny into this particular situation in this church and Danny was like, um, he told this story at a conference, by the way, I'm not telling a story out of school in case anyone's freaking out. Um, and um, And Danny goes into that situation and he's, And he's like, yeah, there's real dysfunction there. This person's manipulating. This person's doing that and that and that. And Bill, you need to step up and challenge this guy. Now, that guy happened to be one of Bill's very, very close friends. And Bill ended up saying, hang on, sorry, no, you've completely misunderstood the brief. I need you to deal with this, this and this, but leave that guy. And Danny's like, hang on a second. This is what I do and I'm actually really good at it and I'm telling you what the problem is and you're ignoring me. And Bill ends up removing him from the situation. And you don't want to have an argument with one of the most powerful people in the country, in that area. And Danny actually came back to him and said to Bill, I'm worried that this is going to drive a wedge in our relationship. Bill's response, I will never let that happen. Simple as that. Even though they profoundly disagreed, Over this thing that had profile and lots of people knew stuff. Bill just simply said, I will never let that happen. That is mature love. One of the best pragmatic examples of mature love that I've heard. And that is, we're in conflict, but our love is that mature that our love can handle this conflict. Our love is bigger than this conflict. And love is bigger than agreement. Danny actually says in his book, Keeping Your Love On, he says, imagine what would happen if a bunch of Christians started walking around with hearts three times as powerful and loving as anyone else around them. Okay, that was worthy of a way better response. Do you want me to say that again? (laughs) Maybe it was so deep. Imagine what would happen if a bunch of Christians started walking around with hearts three times as powerful and loving as anyone else around them. We would do some serious damage to people's brokenness and dysfunction, eh? This is maturing love. So there there is a bigger story in all of this, beyond just us as a family, and that is we are called to show the world what love really is. And ultimately, As we saw earlier, love is Him. John said it. If we love one another, and that word love is the word agape, that unconditional love. If we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. In other words, the true expression of the kingdom Does not just show up like this in terms of me to him, him to me. That's part of it. But if we want to take John, the kingdom really shows up here in the in between us. Do I need to say that again? The kingdom shows up here, the kingdom shows up in the horizontal. One of the things maturing love really requires is heart surgery. Let, 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 let's get real. Because we live in an imperfect world, we've got vows, we've got judgments, we've got stories that, that are based in lies, that are based in pain, that are based in unhealedness, that set us up to make our goal in life safe distance rather than connection. And some days, safe distance might be this close. But it's still, I'm judging whether it's safe. Whereas connection pulls down the wall like we talked about last week. Hello. <laughs> connection pulls down the wall like we talked about last week and says there is actually no armour. There's no, pre- no protection between us. And so if someone's going to protect me, you're going to have to do it because I have no armour in between us. That kind of thing requires heart surgery on the structures of our heart that have been built around us to protect us because of pain, because of dysfunction. And when we don't address them, when we don't face them, when we don't get them surfaced, it leaves doors open in the spiritual realm for the enemy to wage war inside us. Not just at us from the outside, but to actually wage war inside us. It's like leaving all the doors and windows open and hoping a thief doesn't come in and take your stuff. And so, one of the most loving things that the Father can do is actually reveal these things to us. Say, hey, you made a vow there in response to that, that said, I will not fail. How's that going? I'm pretty exhausted. (laughs) Okay, what do you want to do with that? I think it'd be a good time to let that go. I experienced a painful situation. I will never let myself get hurt like that again. I will never put myself out there like, again, like that again. Or the I'll show you, which is you told me I'll never amount to anything. I'll show you. And I set out to prove the person wrong and do the opposite of what they said. And my, I might think, you know what? But I'm doing the opposite of what they said, but they're still controlling you. Like, you know, two magnets that are, they got the equal poles together. You know, they actually, but they're still controlling each other, even though they're sending each other the other way. He wants to shut the doors. Now we're going to have some time early in the new, year, early early next year. To um, we're going to bring Amy and her team back, and we're going to um, open up some more time for ministry in that. But in the meantime, I want to lay a foundation for us to understand. Simply this: what I attached love, affection, and worth to growing up, my strongest emotional experiences. I learnt stuff. I made judgments. I made vows to protect myself so that I could survive. But in doing so, I agreed with fear. And actually, I've opened doors that keep love away and invite more pain and rejection in. And the most loving thing the father can do is actually go, poke. Oh, it's a little sore. Let's talk about that. Bring that to me. So I want to pray for us right now. I want to pray... For a spirit of wisdom and revelation to be on our hearts. Now, if you want to do some homework, if if you're gutsy, if you're game, if you're bold, take some quiet time somewhere during the week and just think back through the timeline of your life. What are your strongest emotional experiences? And just sit with them. And actually, you know, a lot of the time we don't want to do this stuff because it's like, that doesn't feel nice. I get it, (laughs) I hear. But it's so important because if we don't process that stuff, we remain captive to those events and the stories that we tell ourselves around those events. So go back. What What are some of my most painful experiences? What are the stories I told myself? What are the things that I did to survive? What are the things that I told myself in order to survive or to protect myself from that pain again? And just sit there and ask the Holy Spirit to come and be with you and to show you stuff, because He will. That's one side. What was love, affection, and worth attached to growing up? This was an, a bit of an insidious one for me because my family was incredibly loving; they were wonderful. We, I had you know what I would call a great upbringing. I know, you know, there are many of us in the room like that, but it wasn't perfect. And so it took me getting through some denial. <laughs> around that whole environment, to realize, actually, no, that was dysfunctional. And I learned some stuff about that that made me a chronic approval addict. That is some of my story. (laughs) I learned some stuff, but it took the Holy Spirit to raise it. So I want to pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation on that. So that stuff can be rooted out and we can begin to experience at a whole new level the reality of the love of God this way and this way. Because then people are going to be busting down the doors to try and get in. Then we'll have a whole lot of other problems, but we'll talk about that later. (laughs) So Father, we just invite you close right now. Just, Just go into receive mode for a moment. Father, we invite you close right now. God, I ask... I ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation, but I also want to speak to our hearts and say, hearts, you're in a safe place right now. There is no judgment, there is no condemnation, there is no threat of punishment for being imperfect. And we just ask you, Father, to come close. Show us where we've got stories that are, that are keeping us attached to pain and trauma. Where we've got stories that are keeping us attached to views of ourself that you don't have. And that are actually warring against the full manifestation of who you are in us. We just give you permission. I just want you, just in your own heart right now, just give him permission. Just say, Holy Spirit, Father, Jesus, whoever you're connecting with, I give you permission to reveal my vows, my judgments. Because I want to come under the full measure and the full authority of your love. I want to experience you as you are.
1: Just as we um, finish, yeah, we've really been talking about pressing into oneness with each other and what does oneness look like. And that the world will know that we are his because of the way that we love each other. So we can only love each other well when we really become more one in our unity and everything. And you know, if Tim has food on his face,
0: Do I? he's
1: my husband... And I love him, so I'll tell him. The people that you're closest to and the people that you want to bring the best out of, you tell them when they've got food on their face. And so I just want to encourage us that, like, we want to not only just enjoy the abundance that we have in Christ, because that's really, we just want to know what it's like to be fully His and fully alive But in order to really pull each other up and call the gold out in in each other, when we hear each other talking, there are sometimes going to be things that come out of our mouth that sound a lot like a judgment or they sound a lot like an inner vow. And we need to be able to, in love, be able to say to each other, hey, you've got some food on your face. So I just want to encourage us as we start to go deeper in our relationships with each other, it's actually going to have a whole new level of glory on it because there's going to be some really good gold that comes out of this. But we need to be able to love each other strongly enough and closely enough to be able to say you've got food on your face and you're not saying it to point out the food. You're saying it so they can be cleaner, the food, and be in their better state. So I just wanted to encourage us. With that, this is our oneness journey together. And we're doing this because it's great to do this and we want the best for our community. We're also doing it to show the world what love really is. Yeah.
0: And ultimately, love is the most healing force on the earth. If we want to heal the world, it really is true, unadulterated love that will do it. So if as we've talked, you've kind of gone, hey, wow, I've just I've realized some stuff even as we're talking. We're really happy we've got our core team and leaders out, you know, that can pray for you right here, right now. You may want to take this away and do some reflection. I'd really, really encourage you to do that. The time is now yours. Kel, if you want to put on some, you know, okay. stuff, eat some muffins, and if you need prayer. Um, or want to bounce that around, come on down. We would really love to pray for you. Bless you.